Good morning. Scott Luton here with you on this edition of This Week in Business History. Welcome to today's show. On this program, which is part of the Supply Chain Now family of programming, we take a look back at the upcoming week, and then we share some of the most relevant events and milestones from years past. Of course, mostly business-focused, with a little dab of global supply chain, and occasionally, we might just throw in a good story outside of our primary realm. So I invite you to join me on this look back in history to identify some of the most significant leaders, companies, innovations, and perhaps lessons learned in our collective business journey. Now, let's dive in to this week in business history. Hey everybody, and thanks for joining us here today. I'm your host, Scott Luton, and welcome to today's edition of This Week in Business History for the week of November 15th, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to be revisiting one of my favorite stories of a business leader that many don't know about, the one and only Rose Knox. But before we do, let's celebrate a couple of other business leaders that many folks may not know about as well, starting with Wilma Mankeller, who was born on November 18, 1945 in Oklahoma. In 1985, she would be recognized as the first female principal chief of the Cherokee Nation. That would also make her the first woman elected as chief of a major native tribe. According to the National Women's History Museum, Wilma Mankiller, quote, led for 10 years guiding a sovereign nation whose population more than doubled from 68,000 to 170,000 during her tenure. She revitalized the nation's tribal government and advocated relentlessly for improved education, health care, and housing services. Under her leadership, infant mortality declined and educational achievement rose in the Cherokee Nation. She was a consensus builder working with the federal government to pilot a self-government agreement for the Cherokee Nation and with the Environmental Protection Agency, end quote. While Wilma Mankiller would pass away from this earth way too soon, at the age of 64, due to pancreatic cancer, the entire world celebrated her impact. She would earn a wide array of awards and recognition throughout her career, including being inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame in 1993 and receiving the Presidential Medal of Freedom, which is the United States' highest civilian honor. Wilma Mankiller once said, quote, One of the things my parents taught me, and I'll always be grateful, is to not ever let anybody else define me, that for me to define myself, end quote. Up next, I'd like to recognize an iconic leader in the space industry. You may know by now that I'm a big old space nerd. I find astronomy and the study of our universe to be absolutely fascinating. But don't look now. The business of space is really exploding. The global space economy generated about $345 billion in 2016, and it's expected to generate as much as $1.5 trillion dollars by 2040. 
But the space industry certainly rests on the shoulders of giants, both past and present. Edwin Powell Hubble was born November 20, 1889 in Marshfield, Missouri, a small town of about 7,400 folks in the southern half of the Shomi State. Many of you may know that the extraordinary Hubble telescope, which has delivered some of the most incredible imagery in the history of the world over the past couple of decades. Well, that was named for Edwin Hubble, of course, but you may not know exactly what accomplishments led to the honor. Many consider Hubble to be the most important astronomer of the 20th century. In the 1920s, he discovered that our galaxy, the Milky Way, was not alone and that countless galaxies existed beyond ours. Up until that time, about 100 years ago, it was commonly held that the universe was the Milky Way, one and the same. Talk about a mind-blowing discovery that really shook things up. As stated by NASA, due to Hubble's work, quote, by the end of the 1920s, most astronomers were convinced that our Milky Way galaxy was but one of millions in the universe. This was a shift in thought as profound as understanding the world was round and that it revolved around the sun, end quote. But Hubble's biggest discovery and finding would take place in 1929 when he published data that showed the universe was expanding. The Hubble telescope's findings almost a century later would support the universal expansion discovery. And in fact, the telescope's work showed that the expansion is accelerating. Ground and heavens breaking work. That certainly changed humankind's understanding of our universal neighborhood. Up next, we're going to be diving into a fuller story of the inspirational Rose Knox, a story that I published about a year ago when I first learned of it myself. But hey, before we move forward, if I could ask for a simple favor, I sure would appreciate it if you would subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, leave us a review. Let us know how we're doing. Today, we're diving into the story of an innovative, forward-thinking business leader, an historical leader, one that certainly moved mountains, a story that I bet you haven't heard, but one that you should know. It'll inspire you to be bold, get out of your comfort zone, do big things, and be the change in this world. Stay tuned, and thanks again for joining us here on This Week in Business History, powered by our team here at Supply Chain Now. On November 18, 1857, Rose Markward was born in Mansfield, Ohio. In the late 1870s, the Markward family would relocate to Gloversville, New York. A little-known fact about Gloversville, New York, the city was first settled by New England Puritans in the 1790s. Due to the purity and abundance of water in hemlock bark, leather tanning, especially the manufacturing of gloves, became a burgeoning industry in the area. Thus, in 1828, when the first post office was established in the city, it was officially named Gloversville, New York. Now back to Rose Markward. She would end up meeting Charles Briggs Knox in Gloversville in 1881. They would marry just two years later and establish a very interesting relationship and incredible strong bond. Charles Knox was a successful salesperson for a knit goods company, but
but he'd involve Rose in a wide variety of business discussions, and he greatly valued her perspective and expertise. In fact, Charles would give Rose Knox a fixed allowance for her to run the household with. If she had any of the monthly allotment left over at the end of the month, it was hers to keep in savings. Occasionally, Charles Knox would have to borrow from Rose Knox's savings. A tight ledger was kept, though, and Charles would have to repay in a timely manner. Over time, Rose proved to be an excellent manager and very frugal with her finances. In fact, she accumulated $5,000 in savings. Now, for perspective, $5,000 in the late 19th century is worth about $140,000 today. In 1890, Charles and Rose Knox wanted to gain control of their own destiny. So they decided to take those savings and purchase a gelatin business in Johnstown, New York. The business had hit hard times, and the Knox team was determined to turn things around. Here's a little background on gelatin that I certainly didn't know. Back in the 1890s, if you wanted gelatin to cook with, you didn't have any really easy options. Most would source cow shin bones, cook them for hours, and use that liquid combined with egg whites to form gelatin. I don't know about you, but if it were me, I'd probably had avoided any recipes that called for gelatin back in the day. But with Rose Knox's culinary expertise and Charles Knox's enterprising approach, the duo figured out a way to produce a granulated gelatin. No more cow shin bones and hours and hours of slaving in the kitchen to produce gelatin. You could now pick up a simple packet of gelatin in the grocery store and be good to go. Charles Knox would marry that revolutionary product with his very unorthodox marketing approach, which proved to be very effective. In fact, he would earn the nickname the Napoleon of advertising. A big part of those successful advertising campaigns were because of Rose Knox's recipes, which would be featured in newspapers, magazines, and grocery store handouts. Knox Gelatin Company took off, and life was good. For 18 years, the company continued to grow, and Charles and Rose Knox would add other products and companies to their enterprise, such as a small hardware store and a line of soaps, ointment, and tonics. But in 1908, tragedy would strike. A heart condition led to the sudden death of Charles Knox. In a single moment, Rose would lose her lifelong companion, business partner, and dear friend. It was a staggering loss. Many of Rose Knox's friends would advise her to sell off the enterprise. Her friends in those very different days would discourage a woman from leading a business. But Rose Knox would challenge the status quo and would defy her doubters. She would do the unthinkable at the time. That's right. Rose Knox chose to take the reins and lead Knox Gelatin Company into a new era. Two of the very first changes to the business that Rose Knox would make. First, the back door would be closed. At the time, certain employees were only allowed to enter the company through the back door. Rose Knox would not stand for it. She would say, quote, We are all ladies and gentlemen working together here and will all come in through the front door. End quote. Secondly, on her very first day, Rose Knox would force the resignation of one of her late husband's top executives. The executive had told Rose that he would not work for a woman, and he was out. After closely studying the overall business, Rose Knox identified a strong need for focus at the company. Thus, she sold off many of the peripheral businesses to truly focus on one thing, 
selling gelatin, and especially selling gelatin to the American housewife. Rose Knox rationalized the decision by stating gelatin was bought and used by women, and women across the country were highly interested in recipes for their families that were easy to prepare, nutritious, and economical. So she invested into a test kitchen and began to churn out hundreds of recipes that Knox Gelatin Company could share far and wide. The culinary content would engage, educate, and inform consumers. And American households would respond across the nation by purchasing a ton of gelatin. A ton of Knox Gelatin. By 1915, Knox Gelatin Company had tripled in size. Rose Knox would operate the company for 40 years and take Knox Gelatin Company to incredible new heights while also challenging and changing the business landscape of her day. Under her direction, the company would become and remains to this day the leading manufacturer and distributor of gelatin. Rose Knox would be amongst the first businesses across the country to institute a five-day work week in 1913. That was some 13 years before Henry Ford implemented a five-day work week, and some 25 to 30 years before it became commonplace across the United States. But she didn't stop there. Rose Knox also implemented two weeks of annual paid vacation and paid sick leave. This took place decades before they became remotely commonplace across industry. These brave moves were perhaps some of the key reasons that Knox Gelatin Company made it through the Great Depression without having to lay off a single employee. Rose Knox was a revolutionary business leader and was embraced by her colleagues. She would become the first female member of the American Grocery Manufacturers Association. In 1929, Rose Knox would become the organization's first female director, a true game changer, defying all of those doubters that told her to sell it all back in 1908. They told her to give up. A woman couldn't possibly lead the company, they said. But hey, we're all better off thanks to the exceptional courage, strength, and vision of one Rose Knox. She would go on to retire as president of Knox Gelatin Company in 1947 at the age of 90. Rose Knox passed away just three years later in 1950 while still serving as the chairman of the board of directors for the company. Wow, what a story. One we can all draw inspiration from. Knox Gelatin Company was acquired by Thomas J. Lipton, Inc. in 1972, and it's now part of the Treehouse Foods portfolio of companies. Well, that just about does it for this week's episode of This Week in Business History. Now, with that said, we wish you a wonderful week ahead. This is Scott Luton urging you to do good, give forward, and be the change that's needed. And we'll see you next time right back here on This Week in Business History. Thanks, everybody.